Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels part 127. We are still in the Gospel of John currently the past few weeks. Specifically, Jesus has been continuing these last discourses, so to speak, uh, with his disciples before all of the final dramatic events take place concerning his time in the garden and upcoming betrayal and arresting and all of that. Um, And specifically last week, Jesus spent a big part of his time teaching his disciples the benefit of him going away in order that the spirit or the helper may come into their lives, followers of Messiah's lives, uh, in order to bear witness about who Messiah is who God is to teach you all things to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and that was a that was a hard wrestling session Paul because we yeah I, at least for me it was because it's like I want Jesus in the flesh and in person and the right. spirit often seems mysterious and hard to pinpoint in our everyday lives and there's so much misteaching that's going on around the world and like where is the spirit in all of this and we uh we kind of left off with saying that the you know jesus was only one person one guy in israel and in order for him to go away the spirit is able to touch and reach the whole world uh, concerning the narrative of god and humans get in the way of listening to the spirit and just because we don't see the spirit work in the way that jesus referenced last week does not mean that that message is not still transmitting from god from the spirit it's it's maybe humans inability to listen to the voice so to speak yeah or refusal rebellion but i mean it could be all sorts of things right now i i did you're, I'm like you, Samuel. I, I, I've been thinking about it a lot. It's a really difficult topic. Uh, another way to say it, or another thing to add into the mix, is I get the sense that a lot of people expect the spirit to work in them and and for the individual, the human person. I think that they get an idea that that it's something kind of passive. God just does the work, and I'm the the fortunate recipient of it. And I think that also, that mindset is also a really bad mindset. You'll see it. I, I know. I don't know when we would ever get to it in this podcast, but when we get to Paul's letters and things like that, he talks about the fact that you have to work for this. And so maybe that's another really important aspect is the idea that as you work to know God, understand his will, his nature, all of these things. As you strive, the Holy Spirit is going to meet you in that, and and that work will not be fruitless. So I think that's another part of it, but it's also, it's not instant. And just as a, a side example, this is the thing that really affected me. I literally spent decades crying out to God there is no way this can be it. There's no way that this can be the real story. It doesn't make sense. And then the answer started to come. Finally get connected with the right people or the right this or that or whatever it is. And and all of a sudden, all those little doors in the brain start to open up. And it's really, really, really good. So, you know, I don't I don't know what to say about it. Just be active, work at it, be faithful, and the Spirit is there, and He's doing stuff, and who knows, the fruit may Mm. be happening, and you don't even recognize it yet. So, anyway, there's that. Shall we go on with some text? We shall. Let's do that. We're still in John. We're in chapter 16, and we're looking at verses 16 through 18. A little while, 
and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So you can hear, I mean, these these apostles, disciples, they've been with him all these years, and they've lived with the guy. They've heard him say all these things, and they still just don't quite get what he's talking about, which I always think it's funny because we read and act like we really get it. (laughs) But anyway, we're kind of switching topics, uh, sort of, a little bit. He's, He's switching to the topic of his resurrection, at least. And and he says this, in a little while I'm going to be gone, but then I'm going to be back. And so his disciples, again, they're confused. He'd spoken of it a lot. And, and, you know, it depends. Some people think, man, Jesus has been so clear, so explicit. And others think, no, you know, it, it makes sense that they're having trouble understanding, whatever. Regardless of your point of view, they are still bothered. They're still confused. So, To be fair, I thought maybe we would at least talk about this. They didn't grow up like we all did, knowing about some resurrected human in the past. That just wasn't really a part of their thing. Now, they did know of and hoped for a life to come, but the details of that were still kind of hazy, still kind of fuzzy. And and just to put a, a little finer point on it, a lot of the theology, the doctrine, the eschatology, this different thing, a lot of that was being developed in Pharisaic Judaism through the Pharisees just in the most recent couple hundred years. And so it was hazy, it was fuzzy, and maybe we could say it this way. My understanding is their expectation seemed to be something more like, you know, the, the very, very, very end times when it's like everyone is being resurrected all at once kind of thing. The time of the judgment. All that. They did have that image in their head, but this was outside of that image. He was talking about, Jesus was talking about, he alone dying and being resurrected, and this didn't fit their box. It was hard for them to understand. So that was the thing. And they also... They, they, they also seem to struggle with this whole idea of going to the Father. Now, again, they didn't have the knowledge that we have. They didn't have the benefit of hindsight that we have at this point. Now, ultimately, and <laughs> we have to remember this, they're the ones that did understand and passed it on to us. <laughs> so you, you've just got to remember this is them at this point in the story. And, and you got to kind of feel for them. Their hearts and their minds had to be going through just turmoil, utter turmoil, trying desperately to grasp what was really happening and what was soon to happen. And remember, they're still grasping with this idea of, well, is, is he going to be this conquering king? Is he going to die and come back and then be the conquering king? What they... They're just trying to put it all together, and it's hard. So give them some room to be them. They're feeling the sorrow, the pain of the moment, and and they're having trouble seeing that there's good news that's also in the midst of all this. And Jesus, you know, he kind of busts their chops a little bit for not seeing the good side of it, but, you know, whatever. They're struggling. So give them room, and all together— this last thing, we might be associating this this phrase, a little while. That's the phrase they're really struggling with, right? Well, what are the possibilities? And remember, this is us with the benefit of, t- of hindsight. Uh, we could be talking about the time between death and resurrection, Jesus is specifically here. Or we could be talking about the time that's in between resurrection and ascent- ascension, or Man, you really want to take it out. We could be even talking about the time between his ascension and his return, his second coming, when he is that conquering king ruling from Jerusalem for a thousand years, right? All that. Even with the benefit of hindsight, it's a little confusing. You don't exactly know which piece we're talking about, when, whatever. 
Now, in John's telling, this phrase, a little while, well, it actually gets used a handful of times across some chapters here. I don't know if you remember, Samuel, back in John 12, 35, he was talking about how the light was among them for a little while, but then it wouldn't be, right? In John 13, 33, he, he talked to them as little children saying, I am with you for a little while, all of that. Uh, John 14, 19, he said, in a little while, the world will see me no more. So John has been throwing this in there as a sort of a continuing phrase, a continuing theme, a continuing theme, <laughs> continuing theme. And then in John, uh, very recently, John 16, verses 16 to 19, which is what we just read and what we're about to read, uh, he's talking about this idea of you will see me no longer, and then you will see me. So for them, I mean, you, you just got to know this is a little bit hard. I think it at least primarily, maybe the, the, the obvious interpretation is, look, he's going to die. He's going to be gone for a few days, but then he's going to be back, you know, for the 40 days or whatever. But I, I get it. it. It could relate to other things as well. So there you go, Samuel. What do you got on that? Not much. Seems pretty straightforward. They're, All right. They're struggling with yeah. him going away. So like me, you can relate to struggle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, at least in terms of understanding. <laughs> <laughs> struggle is, uh, understanding's hard for me. But here we go. Let's go look then. Let's continue. We're in John chapter 16. This is verses 19 through 24. It's kind of a long section. Here we go. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So now it's interesting here. (laughs) The text says that Jesus knows what they want to ask him. But of course, if you just kind of scroll up in the text a little bit there, it actually says that they were saying it. So I don't know (laughs) if we're seeing any sort of great miracle here, if Jesus is really, you know, seeing into whatever. But then, you know, whatever, Jesus, Jesus himself says they were saying it to themselves. So I don't know, whatever. Take it for what it's worth. One way or another, either they said it out loud or said it so that he couldn't hear or they weren't even saying it out loud and he just knew. Whatever it was, it doesn't really matter because guess what? He doesn't even really answer their question. And I, I mean, you know, it's understandable why say it all again. But he offers some encouragement instead. He says, listen, you're going to feel the sorrow. You're going you're gonna to weep. You're going to lament. And you know what? As if that's not bad enough, you're going to look around you and you're going to see the world rejoicing at the same time. Now, this is peculiar because on one hand, you might go, yeah, there, there were those who were cheering Jesus's death. Well, okay, the world rejoicing. But I think that this also, it's kind of a, kind of a sideways way of saying But you know what? Behind the scenes, those who really know and understand what's going on, they will be rejoicing 
for for good reasons. So you're going to have some who are rejoicing with, let's call them bad motives, and some rejoicing with good motives. Now, it's possible that that rejoicing might make these apostles feel worse, you know, for a time. But their sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And well, how, how can that be? Well, there's his resurrection, there's going to be the giving of the Holy Spirit, the instruction, teaching of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the, the idea of the kingdom, all of that stuff. It's going to be joy, but it's going to be sad for a bit. And now, to help them relate, which I think is a great example, because it's, it's even true today, even with all of the wonderful technology and advancements we've made, whatever, this is still a great example. A woman giving birth, going through the actual moment of birth. If you've ever been around it, been involved in it, even as a man, you can tell, okay, this is not fun. This is, this is pretty bad. And we also know, even being a man, you, you see this, this woman actually finishing, you know, giving birth, completing, and holding that baby when it's all over. And you can just see it. It's, I, I don't want to overstate it, because again, I've never been there, done that. But, but you could see, it's almost like it just erased the trauma of mere moments ago. And, and it, it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Amazing. And these disciples, Jesus is trying to say, look, you're going to experience something similar. While you're going through it, it's going to be awful. It's going to suck. But it's almost instantly just going to be turned to joy and wonder, happiness, and all of that. That's what it's going to be like for them. They'll know the true sorrow and pain of his death, but they're going to see him resurrected. The trauma of the moment will be erased, replaced with joy, this could equally apply to the joy in the fulfilled promise of the kingdom. So you might look at it and say, yeah, but this life is filled with sadness and trauma and pain and, you know, all that stuff. But one day there will be that instant joy, the fulfilled promise of the kingdom. That's kind of a neat thing, right? Uh, which points to the way to Eden and the tree of life being opened again and all of that. I mean, it's all part of the big, big story. In fact, that joy, this joy that he's talking about for them, that they're going to feel, it can never be taken away from them. Why? Because when he is resurrected, he's going to live forever. And ultimately, they are going to follow. And, and, and that's, again, the beauty of the resurrection is, well, that's the proof. That's how we know that the resurrection is a real thing. It's something that we can look forward to. So anyway, that's an awesome thing. And then it happened again, Samuel. They used that phrase, in that day. And I'm just going to say it. We often point to this and go, yeah, you know, that's kind of code speak for the day of the Lord, the day of the judgment, the big stuff at the end, you know, whatever. Well, it often is. But here, as it did just recently, it seems to be staying within context in that day seems to be the day when he is resurrected, you know, the, the, the days after the sadness and, and mourning and all of that thing. And he again, I, I find this so interesting, Samuel, again, he points them to the Father and he tells them, the instruction is, look, don't ask me, ask him. Just when you ask him, ask in my name. If you ask in my name, and what is he saying there, Samuel? According to Jesus's character, Jesus's will, Jesus's nature. If you're, if you're in tune with him in what it is you're asking for, well, guess what? God will answer. He's going to give you what you ask. And, you know, everybody always feels like, but I'm doing that and God hasn't done anything. Right? I get it. I feel it. Been there, done that. Probably will do it some more. We can't see the full big picture, but we can rest assured that God is hearing and that God is answering. 
So anyway, up to this point, his disciples hadn't done that. They, they, they hadn't asked God in Jesus's name. I mean, why would they? Jesus is right there. You know, it's, it's, it's just a very, it's a new and different thing. So Jesus is kind of explaining how it ought to work from this point forward. This is the way you kind of need to look at the world, your relationship with God, where I fit in, all that kind of stuff. In fact, it wasn't just that they could go to directly to the Father in his name or whatever, but more like that they should. And this whole asking and receiving, it too was even an integral part of their joy. It needed to be done so that their joy could be full. And I keep saying they, 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 in the same way, I believe this applies to us. When I say in the same way, I don't mean exactly the same. Their life, their time, all that stuff was different, but there's a similarity. So I don't know. A lot of stuff in there, Samuel. What do you what do you think about that bit? Yeah, I'm I I see the the change between the sorrow with what's upcoming concerning his suffering and his death and then the joy that's going to result from his triumph through his resurrection. But does I mean you you hinted at it some just a minute ago, but could uh, this dichotomy between sorrow and joy also apply to the time from when he when Jesus goes away to the Father until he comes back? Because oh yeah, sure. I mean, I feel like there's sorrow in Jesus. I mean, this kind of ties with this with the whole spirit coming thing that we talked about last week. It's like it feels like some sort of exile for Jesus to be away right now. Right. Yeah and not reigning as king like the scriptures have promised. So I just wanted to bring that up that it's like, it's not like a once change from sorrow to joy and it's been joy ever since. In some ways it's been like sorrow, his death, joy, his resurrection, back to some sort of sorrow again now that he's away. Yeah, as we await. Yeah, it's and you're right, it... it I did kind of mention it a little bit, and, and what you're doing is exactly what the, the writers in your Bible want you to do. They want you to, of course, acknowledge what is kind of like the surface plane meaning of the text, what are we talking about? And so I think it's very reasonable to look at that and go, oh, okay, yeah, we're talking about his death followed by his resurrection, you know, the time before his ascension and all that. Yeah, that's a really good fit, sure. But... It doesn't have to be limited to that. So much of what we see in our Bibles are patterns or foreshadowings of things that are going to come. Lots of things in your Bible just repeat multiple times across history. So to reach out exactly as you did and say, yeah, and, and then what if we looked at it from the perspective of the time that he's away? We're waiting his for, for his return. Yes, it's exactly the same. So yeah, perfect, Samuel, perfect. Just what we should do. Anything else? Not at this current moment. All right. Well, let's do this next little bit. We're still in John chapter 16, looking at verses 25 to 27. Says this. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day... You will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. So this is very interesting. I mean, Jesus, I don't know if this is the right word, but he, you know, admits that he's been speaking to them in figures of speech. And, you know, what kind of things was he talk about, talking about? The, uh, the things I could remember were like, the Son of Man is now glorified, where I go you can't follow, I go to prepare a place, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, in a little while you won't see me, and then again in a little while you will. All of these things, figures of speech. And this is really important for those who read their Bible, and I'm just going to say it this way, they just take it too literally. Jesus tells you, hey, 
I'm speaking in figures of speech sometimes, right? So we have to leave room for that. So the fact that he has been speaking to them in figures of speech, it makes it very reasonable that they would, in fact, struggle as they have, as they are. But he's telling them he's got good news. An hour is coming when he's going to speak plainly. Now, what is the question that we should have at that, Samuel? Uh, when is that? Yeah. <laughs> when exactly is that going to be? I mean, think about it. How much longer is he even going to be around with them? Uh, I mean, hours. Right. It's just a few hours. <laughs> and he is separated from them, going through the cross, dying, all that kind of stuff. When is he going to start speaking sp- plainly? Is that going to be like pre-crucifixion? Or is it post-resurrection, pre-ascension? Is it post-ascension? Is it just like through the Spirit? And I don't know. In some way, the answer is probably yes, you know, to all of that. I don't know, whatever. But the way the story unfolds as we continue through the Scriptures, I think, this this is where I'm leaning, Samuel, I think it, it appears that he's actually referring to through the Holy Spirit, because he's talking about, in that day, you will ask in my name, that kind of stuff. I think he's reaching out just a little bit. Now, it's arguable, of course. You can disagree with me, whatever. But that's where I think he's, he's pointing. And I find this to be especially good news because this means that we have some sort of similar access to the exact same thing that he's talking about with them. Jesus is going to speak plainly. If that's through the Spirit after his ascension, then we have some sort of similar access to that plain speak. And so, I don't know. I think that's really, really good. Now, could it be that he's speaking of, you know, just the time in between now and his death or in the time between his death and resurrection, or I'm sorry, uh, resurrection and ascension? Sure, all that, but... I don't know. This is the one that makes sense to me. And then Jesus returns to this idea of, listen, don't be asking me, and I'm going to say it a different way. Don't be praying, you know, to me. You need to pray to God in my name. And I'm going to say it again. Does it mean that there's like something wrong with praying to Jesus directly? No. Is it going to be bad or unfruitful? No. I don't think he's saying that. I'm just, I think that Jesus is highlighting the preeminence of the Father and his role. I think it's highlighting that, you know, there's that direct access, etc. And and I think those things are important. And Jesus even emphasizes, he says, look, I'm not going to be the one asking God on your behalf. You need to ask him directly. Now, having said that, this in no way diminishes his role as the only true mediator between God and man. And of course, this is spoken clearly. He intercedes on our behalf. He petitions on our behalf. So it's not diminishing or taking away any of that stuff. It's merely reinforcing, you know, the nature, the true nature of the relationship that we can have with God, the Father. It is direct. And ironically or interestingly or wonderfully or whatever, it yet depends on Jesus's stature, Jesus's merit, etc. Now, it also probably raises the question, why, why is Jesus emphasizing this? And again, I think it's just to point out that God loves them directly, which, of course, that extends to us. He loves us directly. God wishes to interact with them directly, us directly. Why? Because they loved Jesus. And hopefully we can say because we loved Jesus. Samuel, how do we love him? By keeping his commandments. Yeah, and who said that? (laughs) Jesus himself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So don't get mad at us. You love Jesus by keeping his commandments. And, And are his commandments any different than God's? They are not. 
No. If you're, I mean, especially if you're going to run around saying Jesus is God. <laughs> yeah, come on. Well, let me do, let me redo that. Come on, son. Come on, son. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And, and okay, not only because they love Jesus, but be, because they believed that he came from God, that he was in fact the fulfillment of promise, even going all the way back to the early chapters in Genesis. He is the the manifestation of God actually fixing the world, if you will, doing all that. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's wonderful. But in all of that, loving Jesus, believing that he came, this is faith and faithfulness. It's what we've talked about for over two years in this podcast, Samuel. The message is consistent. We're not making it up. We're getting it from the scriptures themselves. Yeah. And for anybody who is listening to this portion of today's podcast who is let's just say familiar or accustomed to the western evangelical church this should this should be like your jaw should be on the floor it is for me because it that is, like this teaching about Jesus being adamant to don't ask me ask God in my name is so backwards from what the church tells us like yeah. I mean I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say like and I'm not saying that there's not truth in their statements. It's just the way that they apply it. It's different. They say, like, Jesus is your mediator. Like, you you offer your prayers to Jesus, and Jesus takes them before the throne of God to be able to have God hear um, and acknowledge your prayers. And I don't know. Like, I'm not, like, no disrespect to the Catholicism, but... It all, that almost sounds like how they operate with, like, you have to confess your sins to, like, a priest in order for, the, you know, the priest to take it before God. And, like, it, yeah. Yeah. Jesus is simplifying it more. It's like, if you look like, if your life looks like me in terms of how you are conducting yourself, how you're living, how you're trying to be faithful to the best of your ability, like, you should have and feel the freedom to have direct access to the God of the universe to be able to communicate with him, converse with him, like, you know, in the same pictures that we see intimately, like with uh, Abraham and God, with Moses and God, like almost like, you know, there's a reverence there, but it's also like a friendship in terms of the like how close the communication is. So yeah. I don't know. I just... I really like what you brought to the table for this, and I think more people should put this into practice, like giving it a try to actually start praying to God the Father and seeing, you know, what happens in terms of your prayer life and your relationship, your faith relationship in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if that's new and different for you, by all means, yeah, it's great. See, I think what happens, Samuel, we see this— and, you know, I uh, hopefully uh, everybody listening, maybe their experience is different, whatever. But my experience with the church, we have, I don't know how to say this without being offensive. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive, but it's, it's like throughout the church, people, we're, we've become children. And all of the things that we believe are, are kind of magical. And the way that we live our Christian life or whatever, it's it's really, really immature. And and when you actually read the Bible and actually, you know, like take what it says seriously, try to understand a, a reasonable interpretation, you know, whether that means you're agreeing with us or not, whatever, but but, but you're really trying to get what the Bible's saying, it's not magical. It it's it's awesome and wonderful, but there's just so much to be gained, and I, yeah, I, all I'm doing is agreeing with you, Samuel. And some sometimes church just makes me sad. Mm. You know, I want to see them grow, change, be better. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, agree. Anything else on that part? Not presently. All right. So this next bit, eh, well, it's not too long. Uh, we're still in chapter 16. We're looking at verses 28 through 33. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world 
and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So, Jesus makes another statement. I came from the Father and into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Now, if you've been paying attention, Samuel, I'll even ask, is this the first time he said something like that? Nope. (laughs) No, no, this was nothing new. Jesus has said this before, and, and even in, you know, a variety of ways, a couple different ways anyway, but all of a sudden, this seems absolutely clear to them. The very thing Jesus had just said, and this was, you know, a couple of verses ago, an hour is coming when he would speak plainly. Well, apparently, it just happened. I mean, we get it. We know what you said. You know all things. You don't even need to be questioned anymore. And this is why we believe you came from God, right? Now, the thing is, maybe, maybe they really did have in that moment some sort of real, clear epiphany. Ah. I mean, they, they see clearly what he means. Now, if they did... Well, it it doesn't appear that it's going to last long. <laughs> and I think that Jesus does seem a bit skeptical. And I know I read it that way. Maybe that's unfair. But he says, do you now believe? Right? There's something. You're, and it's almost like Jesus is going, oh, so really, that just happened. I totally spoke clearly. You got it. We're all good. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Jesus has a little news for them. All of those things that he's been warning about, well, they're still going to happen. They're going to be scattered. They're going to abandon him in his final hours. They're going to leave him all alone, you know, except that he won't actually be alone because God is going to be with him. God alone, I guess, will be with him. Uh, But Jesus, he kind of wraps it up with a final statement. Guys, I've told you all of these things so that you might have peace and and. I guess what he's saying is specifically in him, they will have peace. They must abide in him, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. Jesus has said this before. For clarity, he lets them know, look, the world, it's going to remain a source of tribulation for you. And I think that means them, and I think that also means us. His peace is not going to remove that. It's not like, oh, hey, I believe in Jesus and I'm a Christian now and you know what? All of my troubles are gone. Nope. His peace doesn't remove that. They will have peace in the midst of the world, in the midst of tribulation. And of course, they, that's we. I think it's the same. And You know, when I was studying Samuel, that bumper sticker came up in my head again. No God, no peace. And that's spelled N-O. No God, no peace. K-N-O-W. Simple little bumper sticker, but I don't know why. It just seems good. It's appropriate right here in the moment. Now, in the midst of this tribulation, in the midst of the world, they can take heart which that's a way of saying just to be encouraged, knowing that Jesus has, in fact, overcome 
the world. Now, what's another thing that we would say if, if we heard that phrase, Jesus has overcome the world? Samuel, what has he overcome? What's the real foundational thing? Uh, sin and death. Yeah, exactly. He has overcome the world. They can bear the tribulation that they're going to go through, and, you know, so can we, knowing that it's not the end of the story, knowing that life awaits them. And it's true life. It's eternal life. It's, okay, yeah, I'm sure it's eternal in, like, its time value, but it's also they will be with God. And, you know, another way to say it, this came from a a church I used to go to many, many years ago, God wins! (laughs) 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 Kind of silly, but, you know, it's, it's a good kind of truth. I don't know. Whatever. So what do you got from there, Samuel? Yeah, um, I know that this specific verse at the end of this section, John sixteen thirty three, also gets quoted a lot in the Western mm. church. And for the most part, all the times that I've heard it preached or mentioned, they do a good job of highlighting this indelible sense of security or trust that should be present at, as a follower of Jesus yeah. in the midst of the tribulation um, that is going on all around you. Um, but something that you brought up in the way that you read the section and taught the section that I didn't really think about before is that this uh, encouragement that Jesus is offering in the midst of his knowing of their moment of I don't know how you want to say it falling away or lack of faith or doubt their fear that Jesus isn't rejecting them like even though that he knows that's going to happen he's still like his mission is still his topmost priority that he is trying to accomplish to defeat sin and death and like I don't know it just he in some ways he's asking them more to like pick themselves back up after they've fallen here in a little bit like through this encouragement to say that like I know you're going to let me down here but <laughs> there there's still going to be opportunities for you to get back up dust yourself off and continue to trust the story and I don't know, and my mind went to a statement that the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it's another famous verse, Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think that this section paints that beautifully, that, you know, for for his disciples specifically, it's like, while they were still given into their fear, given into their doubt, Jesus still with with uh, upheld his end of the bargain for his mission to lay down his life for the world. So, yeah, yeah that's just a powerful section to me for those who struggle in their faith that, you know, your doubts and your struggles aren't the end of your story, that there's always opportunities, on you know, within God's mind for you to try again and keep pressing towards him. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about, it's two things. First of all, so practical, so important for just our everyday lives, trying to walk in this world as a Christian. So awesome. I'm glad you brought that up. It speaks to this very consistent mindset that, again, I have seen all throughout my life in the church and all that. At the beginning, it looks like this. I've done too many bad things, God can't accept me. And, and you hear that a lot. A lot of churches, you know, they have that story. Listen, quit thinking that God won't accept you, that like you have been too, too bad. And, and the verse you brought up is, is a great example of that. He died bef- while you were still a sinner. So, of course, he's going to accept. That's good. But a lot of people then turn around, and even though they would argue, let's just say, against people like us who are going, man, the Torah is important, the, 
the the laws are important not like as rules but as instructions for how to live we we need to do our faith they would they would still be some of the same people who really really struggle going oh man i'm just messing up so bad god must hate me you know, I don't know if I'm really a Christian or, you know, I, can I lose my salvation? You know, all these things that go through their head. And I think it's super important to say, listen, it's, it's the faithful the faithfulness, the loyalty. God sees the heart. He knows what you fight against. Now, if you're just flippantly sinning and and not really trying it's you know it's more lip service than anything else okay well i think that could be a problem for you but if you are sincere and and trying and you fall down you know what just get back up and and what you're talking about here that is samuel the practicalness of of walking out our faith we we got to leave room for that my goodness none of us are jesus and Though I believe that with, with real effort, we can image God in our lifetime. Well, it doesn't matter. I've got an entire past where I've blown it. So, you know, nobody's saying, I'm Jesus. It's just we can pursue it wholeheartedly, sincerely, and we should. And don't let the mistakes, the missteps, whatever, tear you down. Just mm-hmm. keep going. So, I don't know. Anything else, Samuel? Nope. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the next little bit at least. This is it. We're moving on to John chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. And well, I'm going to go ahead and read it and then we'll talk. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All right. Thank you, John, for continuing the weirdness. So, now, many, many see all of chapter 17 as some version of a high priestly prayer. Uh, they, they see it as related to his upcoming sacrifice. They see the coming atonement for sin. They see it as intercession and they see him preparing to enter God's presence. Uh, all of these things, in their minds, they, they relate to the high priest and his duties, and most especially, you know, in that uh, the 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 sense of the the day of atonement. Now, you got to admit that is some cool imagery. The other thing is, that's not the only way people see it. Others are going to look at this, and they, they see it as a prayer, of course, but for them, it's something that's maybe a little more common or a little more ordinary. Now, as we've noted before, the, uh, the whole idea, the concept of a farewell address, well, that was kind of a common thing in and around Israel and probably the, the neighboring cultures, whatever, a- and it even had, you know, somewhat of a common form. And, and we've mentioned that even though we've seen now two farewell addresses, they both kind of fall into that pattern. Well, we didn't mention it the first time around. I should have, whatever, but now here we are. It was also common to end a farewell address with a closing prayer. And so many look at this section, this chapter 17, and they go, look, this, this prayer is merely that. It's the follow-on prayer to a farewell address this is just normal. So, you know what? You can look at it any way you want. I think that it's actually, how do I say this? It's more compelling to me as the closing prayer of a farewell address than it is a high priestly prayer. Doesn't make me right. 
I do, though, find the imagery behind the idea of it being a high priestly prayer way more cool. <laughs> so I, I'm not, I'm not like exclusively in one camp, you know, saying that it has to be one way or another. You can see it way, whatever way you want. But what we're going to do, we're just going to walk through the text and like we've done before, we just want to see what, what is it that's being communicated. So either way, however it is you look at the prayer, it's kind of broken up into sections. You see at the beginning, he seems to have this narrow focus where it's kind of about him, him, him God, whatever. It, it's very narrow. And then it seems to, you know, becomes a little more inclusive. He starts talking about the disciples, you know, those that, that uh, are very near, dear to him, that kind of thing. And then there's even another section where it breaks out, becomes very, very broad in nature. It, it seems to refer to believers uh, everywhere, maybe even believers in all time, you know, all that kind of thing. So, so it's interesting in that regard also. Uh, and and the prayer that we see here it links to a, a lot of the themes that are all through John's gospel. A lot of the language that that John uses all through his gospel. And I don't know. I think I think it's it's a reasonable argument that in this prayer you find the summarization of even some of these major themes up to this point. So I, the, 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 all I'm really getting at is there is a lot going on here. Now, he starts with the stuff that we've seen before, uh, this idea of, you know, his hour has come. And I, I thought this was fun, Samuel. If we remember all the way back, remember he Jesus was at the wedding in Cana and his mom was kind of pushing him, come on, you got to do something, come on, right? <laughs> Egging him on, trying to get him to, well, I, I don't know if she was actually thinking that he should make some wine from water or whatever, but you get the idea. But remember what he said there, Samuel? He's like, woman, my time has not come yet. Yeah, my hour has not yet come. And right here, what is he saying? My hour has come. So, I think that's really interesting and really cool that in the story, we've, we've seen it building, and, and now it's here. He's, he's asking, you know, directly to God. He's in prayer, right? Glorify the Son, which he's referring to himself, but it doesn't feel quite so third person. It, you know, you could read it as he's just kind of speaking in terms of the the, the big story, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. And, and what does he mean by that? He means reveal God's true nature. And boy, it, it, if the Scriptures aren't already just filled with all of these things, revealing God's true nature, what he does through Jesus on the cross, you know, presumably as God— Wow, that tells you a lot about God's true nature. It's awesome. But I, I, I just thought this was interesting, Samuel. I'd like you to read just one short verse for me. This is back from Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Read that. Moses said, please show me your glory. So that's another thing. You go back. When Moses is going through, he says, please show me your glory. And what does God do? He passes in front of him. But what's he do with Moses? Uh, he puts some behind a rock and like God takes his hand and like covers him until he walks away and you can always see the backside of him. Yeah, yeah. So that's another way in which the story has been progressing. Moses is like, man, I want to see your glory. I want to, I want to see it all. And God's like, dude, can't handle it. You need to, um, let me, let me hide you here, you know, while I pass by, maybe you can look for, look at me from the backside or something. But in what Jesus is doing, in Jesus' life, what he accomplishes on the cross and all of that, that is, in some sense, God revealing his glory, his true nature, all of that. And I just, I just think that is such a, a neat connection from, from this point in the story to the way back. But then, you know, having done that, he moves on to the sort of like the how and the why part. Uh, he says, authority over all flesh to give eternal life. 
What's he talking about here? Well, in one sense, this is, I, I think it's speaking of Jesus's redemptive work, what it was that he actually accomplished. He has opened the way to life. He's defeated death. So in, in that sense, he's got authority over all flesh to give eternal life. And in another sense, Jesus has overcome the flesh in his life. And therefore, he is an example for us all. His life is useful for us all in that way. And and why? So that they or we might attain life too. Now, it's not that we work to earn it or that we effectively bring it into being. It's a gift. We all know that. That's the true fact. But it is a gift that is not for all. Somewhere in this, however it is you view it, there is a limitation. It, it is not universal. Now, I know there are some who are universalists, and they would disagree with that statement, but we are, are just convinced in ourselves that, that that isn't how it looks in Scripture. It's only for those that God has given to Jesus, which, again, that's going to raise controversy also. Who is that? Who can that be? Some... Okay, they're going to look at that, and they're going to see this something along the lines of, you know, God has actually, I don't know, picked or chosen his own from the beginning. It was a, it's like predestined, foreordained, or, you know, something of that nature. Uh, God had already decided it at the beginning of the story. Okay, that's, that's not where we come down, but, but that's a real thing. Uh, others see this as those who have actually responded to him in this life. We have made the choice. God didn't make the choice for us. We make the choice. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you're going to obviously know that we favor the latter view. Okay, that, that's great, whatever. But we're still left with the point that it isn't for all. And so there's something, somewhere, something that's required. Now, Interestingly, though, we get to verse 3, and something very odd happens. Just listen to it again, Samuel. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, if you look at that as this is Jesus still praying... Well, that's super weird that Jesus would be speaking of himself in the third person. I mean, that that just sounds weird, right? Now, uh, the, the one cool thing that you could take from that is that, hey, he's literally calling himself the Messiah. Well, you know, that's something. At least we get the explicit call out, right? On the other side, you could look at this and say, no, John has inserted a clarifying statement into this prayer. And I'll just say that seems a little more likely to me. But it doesn't fit neatly into either because the way John words it, it's it's almost like he means for you to think it's part of the prayer. And then at the same time, he's given you this outside. I don't know. It's just weird to me. Maybe you don't see it that way. Maybe you do, whatever. I think it's weird. However, the meaning is, as always, what's important. Eternal life isn't just about time. We say eternal life, we think forever, infinity, you know, those kind of words. Okay, I I have no problem with that being included in what we mean, but what it's telling us here is it's also about intimate relationship with God. Life is in knowing him, knowing God, or, or Jesus, if you will. Same thing. We know him, and it's various ways. We know him through his Torah, his nature and character, the the justice and mercy aspects. We talked about all that, right? And we might know him through his spirit. That's another way. And, And this is how or why we can have this this relationship to a degree now. We can have life to a degree now. It's harder because we're, you know, separated from him. I mean, that's the whole, 
deal ever since the garden. There's, there's this separation. But we can still have it. We have the scriptures. We have the spirit, etc. In those things, his presence is with us. Through those things, we can know him. Or at the very least, be knowing him as a result of walking in obedience, being truly human, being in his image. And just like we've talked about the kingdom and all of the stuff that goes with that, eternal life, well, there is a now and not yet nature to it. We can experience some of that life now, but there will be death, there will be resurrection, and then we will know it fully, just like the kingdom. So there you go, Samuel. I done burnt all of our time. What do you got? I actually don't have anything. Um, what? I just, not that this section isn't good. Um, it's just, I don't know. I think it's, you set it up well for what this prayer is going to consist of that we're going to dive into next week. All right. Well, I only have one thing to say. Who are you, and what have you done with Samuel? <laughs> hey, no. I, I surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> well, that's great. You know what? I think we should just be done then. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.